Oh, hey, good morning, everybody. You doing okay today? You all right? Yeah? Well, I sure hope so. Today's a good day because there is sunshine outside. Kind of get an oh, yeah. Man, oh, man, it feels like it would never come. And based on the weather reports, it's going to be gone before we know it. But let's enjoy it for the next 35 minutes, okay? Hey, I'm Josh. I'm the teaching minister here at Clear Creek. If you are a guest, welcome to our family. We're so glad that you're here. This is just a wonderful bunch of people who are very much imperfect, but who know and follow a perfect Savior. And so if you're trying to just sort of kick the tires of faith, maybe you are today where Nick mentioned he was 16 years ago, just kind of figuring this thing out, kind of checking it out. Uh, We would love to be able to be a part of your journey, to encourage you to take your next step with Jesus, because there is no greater gift than to know Jesus Christ. We believe that. In fact, we have staked our eternity on that. And so we want to just welcome you and be a part of it. We're going through a series right now as a body through this little book of the New Testament called Mark. And it is the story, not fiction, but it is the story, the events of the life of Jesus Christ as told from the vantage point of a man named Peter who then shared it with a guy named Mark who then wrote it down for all of us. And what we've been looking at is this idea that Being with Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, means that you go where Jesus goes and you do what Jesus does. That following or discipleship is simply going where Jesus goes and doing what Jesus does. Now, we're using as a sort of a tool or a help a booklet our church produced. And uh, so I'm going to invite you to go ahead and pull out your Mark journal. uh, And we're going to be going to page 46, page 46, that's a spot for you to fill in, take some notes. I'm going to encourage you to do that this morning. We'll be in Mark chapter 3 here in just one moment. Before we do, though, can I get just a show of hands for anyone who enjoys watching, attending, or participating in sports of any kind? Can I see some of God's people this morning? Oh, yeah. Now, listen, I don't, I don't tend to watch sports on TV. I don't have much time. I have these two little people called children, and they take up all of my time. But I love attending a game when I can. Now, most of the time, the games I attend are for those little people. But there are some moments where the favor of God rests on me, and I get to go to, like, a big-person game. I, I love going to Lindsay's parents' Uh, They live up in Bloomington, Indiana, which is right there in the uh, IU campus area, Indiana University. And periodically when I go up there, they'll have an extra ticket for one of the IU basketball games. Now, I couldn't tell you the first thing about the IU basketball team, let alone what's really going to be going on. But whenever they say, do you want to go? I say, absolutely. Most recent time that we were there, I had the privilege of being given the ticket to sit right there. On the floor, right there in front of all the action. This is a picture from one of the games, not the game I attended because IU was not doing so well that season. So there weren't that many. But the crowd, the people, and you get to sit right there on the front row, right next to the action. It was an incredible thing to sit there and for the ball to come flying by for these guys who were who just massive, massive guys, yet about half my age now, which is a weird thought. 
And they're playing and they're going and they're moving and they're passing and they're shooting and they're scoring and we're cheering. It's just an exciting thing to be a part of. And it, as I was watching this, it was so great to be so close to the action, to be right there and to be just in the middle of it all. And then it occurred to me though, I'm not really a part of the action. I am on this side of the line, but all of those who are participating are on that side of the line. I am standing here or sitting here, and although I am right up close, I am not in the game itself. And it made me consider this little fact that I want us to look at this morning, simply this. Proximity to something, being close to something, is not the same thing as participating in that thing. Proximity is not the same thing as participation. Let me give you another example, maybe for the more feminine among us. How many of you have been invited to attend a wedding sometime? Any of you ever, maybe your fiancé asked you to attend your wedding. That's the one you went to. But how many of us know that there is a vast difference between attending a wedding, although you are sitting right there and the bride will walk right by you so close you can touch, although you're sitting here and the bride and the groom and the preacher are standing right here so close you can touch, although you are proximity, very close. How many of us know that there is a vast difference between proximity and participation? Attending a wedding is very different from getting married yourself. Can I get an oh yeah from anybody? How many of you are married? Can I get a real oh yeah? And so in this story, here's what I want us to see. One simple point. We're going to break it down, give you three things to consider, but here's the simple point. Proximity to Jesus, church attendance, Growing up in a church home is not the same thing as participation with Jesus. Day in, day out. Being close to is not the same thing as living with. Watching the game of life with Jesus is not the same thing as stepping over the line onto the court and saying, Jesus, I'm here, let's do this together. And so what we're going to see is two groups, one that was all about proximity and the other that is all about participation. This is Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. It says this, and Leonard, if you'll drive us, that'd be awesome, buddy. Jesus withdrew with his, say this word with me out loud, disciples. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. Now notice this. And a large crowd from Galilee followed. We have two groups. We have disciples and we have the crowds. Disciples and crowds. Let's keep going. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem. Idumea? Okay. By the way, little secret, when you're reading words you don't know in the Bible, say it with confidence and loud, and everyone else will go, I did not realize that's how you say it. Okay. It may not be, but they think you know. Okay, so, Idumea and the regions across the Jordan around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, Jesus told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many. By the way, we're about to see why the crowds follow. For he had healed many. So that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch Jesus. 
Whenever the evil spirits saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Now we're about to witness the calling of some special followers. He appointed 12, designated them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And all the middle school teachers say, Amen, wish I had that power. Amen? These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the names Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, whoop. Let's go back one more. Go back one more there. Here we go. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, pay attention to that, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So we are given in this moment, in this scene, we are told that there are two groups that follow Jesus. You have crowds and you have disciples. Crowds and disciples. But understand that crowds are not the same thing as disciples. Attending a service does not mean that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Growing up in the church does not mean that I am a personal disciple of Jesus Christ. And listen, I I will compare my church attendance to anyone else in this room. Growing up, I sat over where I grew up on the second to front row, far side over here. In fact, when I was birthed, I was practically birthed on that pew. They pulled me out, smacked my rear, and I said, amen. And that was the beginning of my church attendance. But growing up in church did not make me and does not make me a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you understand the church in North America is in trouble Because we have confused being a part of a crowd and discipleship. And here's the big difference. You want to know the big difference? Here's the big difference. Crowds follow Jesus for what he does, while disciples follow Jesus for who he is. A crowd says, I want what you can give me, Jesus. A disciple says, I just want you, Jesus. I remember growing up, always looking forward to when my grandmother would come and visit our family. Because Granny, when I was little, we called her Granny. And she was this prim and proper southern lady. And, you know, I remember uh, we'd call her Granny. But my mom used to sort of like, oh, I hate that. I hate that. Because when she heard the word Granny, she did not think of prim and proper. She thought of the old woman from the Beverly Hillbillies. Any of you get the mental picture I'm talking about? That was not my Granny. But I loved it when Granny would... Some of you are going, I don't know what that is. Okay, we'll come back to you in a moment. I loved it when Granny would come because when she came, she would always bring us something. Maybe it was something sweet. Maybe it was a toy. Maybe it was a video. It didn't matter. But whenever she would come, she would always bring something. And as a child, I looked forward to her coming for what she would bring us. But as I grew up and became more mature, I looked forward to her coming because I just wanted to see her. 
There's a difference from a crowd and a disciple. And so I want you to see the three distinguishing marks of a disciple this morning. Because as we figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus well, here's what is going to happen. Some of you are going to say, I thought I was a disciple, but I am a part of the crowd. And that's good news because then you're able today to say, I want to take the step across the line to disciple. There are others in here, you are a disciple and you will be able to say, yay God, I want to continue and this will give you some clarity for who you are. And then there are still others who, man, you just don't know where you're at and this is going to be the beginning step for you. And I believe that there are some in here today, this will be the starting point of your lifelong love with Jesus Christ as you recognize what it means to go from simply part of the crowd to being a disciple. And so there are three things we see in this passage about a disciple. Here's the first one. Number one, disciples are called to Christ. They are called to Christ to live with Jesus and be like Jesus. Disciples are called to be with Christ. Before you're ever called to do anything, you are called to be with Jesus. We are not called human doings, we are called human beings. You are to be with Jesus. This is what Jesus says in verse 14. Look at this. He says, He called them out that they might be with Him. See, so many of us think that following Jesus is all about the activity. Is it possible that most of us need more time with Jesus and less time just doing things for Jesus? Disciples are people who go where Jesus goes, does what Jesus does. But to do that, you have to see him and know him intimately. And it's such an incredible thing that Jesus would call them out. By the way, if you are a Christian today, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then you are a part of what he has called out. And the incredible thing is this. Jesus did not simply call the world to follow him. He has called you to follow him. How incredible is this that the God who when he opened his mouth and uttered his voice, cosmos blew out. That the universe was formed. That time, space, matter, energy, puppy dogs, trees, that everything came out. That this same God who is bigger than we can imagine, more glorious and brilliant than we can even see, that he called you by name and says, I want you to be mine. A disciple is called to Christ to live and be like Jesus. Number two, Jesus says, or disciples are called to a cause. We are called to a particular cause, and this cause is very simple. It's very straightforward. The cause is not to build a killer children's program here. The cause is not to have wonderful Bible classes here, although those are great. The cause is not to have a church where lots and lots of people show up on Sunday, although that's fine. The cause of the church is not the latest social issue. The cause of the church, the thing that Jesus has commissioned us to do. Oh wait, what's that word, commission? Is to go and what, church? Let's try this again like we believe it, okay? What is the great commission, church? It is to go and make disciples, And Jesus will even say, you go into all the world, make disciples, you baptize them, and you teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is what he says in verse 14. He says, Jesus sent them out to preach. Whenever you see the word preach in the Gospel of Mark, it is referring to specifically the speaking of the kingdom of God, that God's kingdom is breaking into this world 
Jesus is here. He is as close to you as this moment, this time. All you have to do is take a step across because he is here. He is present. So repent, change, turn to Jesus. And he commissioned them to go out to make disciples. And then the third thing is simply this. Disciples are called to a community. Here's the reality. If I am to follow Jesus well and live out his cause in this world well, I am going to need and we are going to need a community with whom to live. Now this is where it kind of gets hard, doesn't it? Most of us have no problem with a daily time with Jesus or a weekly time with Jesus or a periodic time with Jesus. Sure, I like Jesus, I'll be with Jesus. Most of us would even say that, yeah, telling people about Jesus, good thing. But church? A community? See, see, this is where some of you want to pull me aside and say, Josh, I'm with you on points number one and points number two. But that point number three, have you ever met church people before, Josh? They're weird. They're messy. They don't always get things right. And yet Jesus, we're told, he appointed 12. He did not call them individually. He called them communally. Notice the, the pronouns, in fact, that they might be with him. And he sent them out to preach. It is never on our own. It is always together. And this is what Jesus has called us to. Now, again, can we just be real honest that people are kind of messy? In fact, would you just raise your hand if you've ever run into a prickly person? Go ahead and just raise your hand if you have ever met a prickly person at church. Go ahead. Raise it high. Raise it proud. Go ahead. Join the crowd. Now, by the way, if your hand is not raised, you may be the prickly person everyone else is raising their hand about. Church is full of prickly people. Can I get an amen? And if you don't think that's true, go look in a mirror and then ask someone else, am I a prickly person? And they'll say, amen. Because there are things about us that are not how they ought to be. I am not who I ought to be yet, although I am in the process of becoming who God made me to be. You're in the process of becoming who God made you to be. And so he says, you do this together. Did you know, church, there are 59 one another passages in the Bible. You say one another, what does that mean? 59 times we are told to do things with one another. Forgive one another. Love one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be gracious to one another. Fifty-nine times it is impossible to live the one another's if we are not living with one another. And, and look, I love our gatherings on Sunday, but you need to understand this is not what the Bible is talking about. Can, can you imagine what it would have been like to be part of Jesus' inner crowd? He calls you, he says, hey, I want you, I want you, I want you. You come with me. And you come alongside, and then you begin to look around to see who else Jesus is calling to himself. And you look at this list, and you go, well, well, there's Simon. He's probably the oldest among them. By the way, most people believe that of the 12 apostles, Peter was the oldest, probably early 20s. 
The rest of them were probably in their late teens, with the exception of Judas Iscariot. He could have been in his 20s as well, but we, or, or excuse me, with Matthew, because Matthew was a tax collector. But you begin to look around, you've got Peter, who is the loudmouth of the bunch. Do you notice how he is often the one who's speaking in these stories? He's the one first to speak. Often, most people believe that the apostles kind of look to Peter as the mouthpiece of their group. They would talk about something, and Peter would be like, hey, so Jesus, the guys and I were wondering. So you've got a loudmouth who's constantly putting his foot down his mouth. Don't raise your hand, but do you know anyone who constantly says things that later they go, why did I say that? That's in Jesus' inner circle. You've got other people. You've got James and John, the sons of thunder. Why were they called the sons of thunder? Because they had fiery tempers. Any one of you, don't raise your hand again here, but any one of you know a Christian with a fiery temper. And we still have a hand raise. (laughs) Do you know people who have fiery tempers? And yet Jesus says, I got a place for you. By the way, John, one of the sons of thunder, later is known as the disciple of love because he lives with Jesus and with Jesus' family, his followers. You've got Matthew. Who's Matthew? Church? Tax collector. What do we know about tax collectors? Well, they were Jewish people or people of various uh, groups that had been dominated by the Roman Empire. And Rome said, we want taxes from the people we have conquered. And there would be men who would say from within their communities, they'd say, tell you what, Rome, I will collect taxes from all of my countrymen and give it to you if you'll let me keep a cut of it. Matthew is a traitor to his people. He's a tax collector. This is the guy who's in Jesus' inner circle. And then you've got this other guy by the name of Simon, but we're told specifically not Simon Peter, but Simon the Zealot. Zealots were the, the religious terrorists of the Jewish country. They were the men who would often carry daggers or other implements of war in the sleeves of their cloaks, of their coats. And as they would go through the crowds, if they saw a Roman guard by himself, they would sneak over and often kill the guard or they would attack dissidents, people who supported the Roman Empire. They were the freedom fighters of Israel. And Jesus says, hey, by the way, uh, Matthew, come on over here, buddy. Yeah, yeah, Matthew, okay. You've been collecting taxes on all these people. That's great, okay. I want you to meet Simon the Zealot. You two are going to be bunk buddies for the next three years. How does that make you feel? I got this mental picture that you've got someone who had participated in oppressing the people and someone who was working to liberate people through violence. Can you imagine the first night that Matthew decided to go to bed with all these little followers of Jesus? I can almost envision they make a little fire right there. And Jesus is laying here. You've got all the apostles sort of laying down their mats. And Matthew waits to see where Simon is going to sleep. Simon's over here. Where does Matthew sleep? Way over here. Because he knows who he is and he knows what he has done. And yet these are the people that have been called into the community of Jesus. Sometimes we say, I don't know how I can have community with people with whom I have such great disagreements. Let me give you a hint. This comes from marriage counseling. In marriage counseling, when you see two people who cannot seem to get along, who have differences of opinions, of personalities, and and they just don't know what to do, the counselor, if good, will say, here's what you do. Don't focus 
on your differences. You both focus on loving and leaning in to Jesus Christ. Because as you walk towards Jesus, if your spouse is over there, if someone in the church is over there, if I am walking towards Jesus and they are walking towards Jesus, you are getting closer with one another every step of the way. I got to tell you, this is the part that I think is the hardest, but this is where life really changes. We have these wonderful communities in our church, these small groups that so many of you are a part of. Lindsay and I, we came to Clear Creek last August. We've been here less than, well, about six months now. And we did not know a blessed person other than for the elders and the staff, and that was about it. And I remember Evan, he came and he said, hey, we've got groups. Do you want to be a part of a group? How do we need to do this? And he gave me a list of names of other people, some who are connected in the body, other who are new in the church. And we began to make calls and introductions. And we got together a small group. And I got to tell you, the first few weeks were just awkward. Any of you ever been to an awkward small group before? Oh, yeah. But here's the most beautiful thing. We kept coming, we kept connecting, we kept visiting. And I will tell you that these are some of our best friends. We live together, we cry together, we laugh together, we've served together, we've bowled together, we have gotten angry together because we bowled together. It has been great. But this is where life happens, where you talk about what is true, what is false, how we live, how we love. This is where You become like Jesus. A disciple is someone who is with Christ on a common cause in community. This is what it looks like to walk across the line from someone in the crowd to a disciple of Jesus. So I want to give you, in our last few moments here, three quick questions. You may want to jot these down. These are self-reflective just for you to consider today. Because in just a minute, we're going to go into a time of prayer. And and what I'm going to invite you to do is as you consider where you stand, where are you in this this relationship with Jesus. Because really there's only two possibilities. Either you are a part of the crowd, you may be celebrating what Jesus is doing, but you're not a part of it. Are you in the crowd? Or are you a part of the community of faith? Are you a disciple? So three questions to consider. Number one, have I been with Jesus today? And of course today you get a bye because you're in church. But tomorrow morning when you wake up and the alarm goes off, will you take some time to sit with your Savior, to soak in his words, to listen through, through reading and talk to him through prayer? Will you be with Jesus? You cannot be a follower if you are not with Jesus regularly. Have you been with Jesus today? And by the way, if you haven't done this yet, don't beat yourself up. We're told that God's mercy is new Every morning. Just start tomorrow. Just start tomorrow. Second question is simply this. Who am I discipling? Who am I pouring into so that they may come to know Jesus? This will be a few different spheres you'll want to consider. If you are a parent, then your children are the natural first layer of disciples. Are you pouring into them what matters? Or are you pouring into them things that will not last? I'm always surprised by the number of parents who focus so much on extracurriculars, on sports. It's like, my boy, he's going to go. He's going to go all the way. My girl, she's going to go. She's going to play college. Who knows? She may be the first in the NFL. Who knows what's going to happen? I I got news for you. No, they're not. But they can know Jesus. 
Who are you discipling? Who are you pouring into? And it's not just your children. Who in your work? Who at the playground? Who in your school are you sharing Jesus with? Disciples make disciples. And number three, the last thing is this. I'm going to put this up there, Leonard, if you will. Have a moment with Jesus. Who am I discipling? And who is my community? Who are the people that you can call anytime? And who can call you anytime? This is what it means to be a disciple. Growing up, there's this word we used a lot in the church. Brother. Any of you ever hear that word in the church? Brother. Growing up, I used to think it was the funniest thing because everyone was brother. Everyone was sister. And I used to think it was so funny until I started to read a little bit about it. And I began to read how in the first century there were Many people who, when they would hear the good news of Jesus, they would say, I want to walk across the line. I want to go from crowd to committed. I want to go from just a fan to a follower. I don't want to simply be on the sidelines. I want to be a disciple. But as they came to Christ, their family said, well, you've lost us. There's so many examples throughout the first century of people who would give their life to Jesus and their mama, their daddy, their friends, their family. They would say, you are now dead to us. In fact, in certain cultures today, if you follow Jesus, they will actually hold a burial for you because you are now dead to them. And so this new follower would come into the church and say, I love Jesus, but I lost my family. And the pastor, the preacher, the elder would get up and say, you see this man over here? He's your daddy. You see this brother over here, this man, he's your brother. You see this woman over here, she's now your mom. You see this young lady, she's your sister. We are now your family. That when you step in, although you may lose something, you have gained a family. I remember the day when my daddy told me that he and mom were about to have another kid. We already had two other, I already had two other sisters. I wasn't sure I wanted a third sister. And I remember crying and begging mama, just saying, please, just leave her in there. You'll be okay. I didn't understand biology. Do you know what my mom and daddy did? They didn't listen to me. They had that baby. And they brought my little sister home, and she had never left ever since. See, I didn't get to choose who was in my daddy's house. Daddy chose. You need to know something. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. But here's what I do know. Your daddy says, there's room for you in the family. Your daddy says there's room for you at the table and we'll all scooch over and make space for you. Will you just step across the line? You come be a part of the family. This is the invitation to being a disciple. And so we're going to go into a time of prayer for that very reason today, family. I'm going to ask our prayer leaders to quickly make their way to the front We're going to dim the lights to prepare our hearts and be able to consider what is happening. And as we do, I want you to think about those three questions. Am I regularly with Jesus? Am I sharing who he is with other people? 
And am I in a family with whom I can live, love, and serve? And maybe for you today, you just need to know that there's a family that loves you, that you do not walk alone. Perhaps today, all you need is you need encouragement. If you do, we would love to pray with you here in a moment. We have prayer leaders here, here, and here. Or you can even stand where you are and talk to your father. You can tap someone on the shoulder standing next to you. Freak him out today and say, would you pray with me? Or maybe you just want to pray for someone else and say, God, would you bring them home? Maybe today you just want to say, I need to continue stepping across that line. It is so easy to just watch. I want to be a follower. But whatever your need, today you need to know that your Father waits if you'll just take one step across the line. Let's together stand and go into this time of prayer. Here's what you need to know today. God loves you deeply, more than you know. And because of his great love, you and I have hope for the future. May God bless you. You are dismissed.